Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to internet radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern day fundraising success, and practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders, also a successful author. His books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. Guests on the Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on Radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome here to the latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. I cannot believe that we have gotten to today, and it just seems like yesterday that we started the Nonprofit Coach Radio Series, and we are now today celebrating our fourth anniversary. As the announcer stated, this is a call-in show, and we have a number of people that are calling in today uh, who are scheduled, and they are leaders in our field. Uh, And if you'd like to join them, you can call 347-324-3080. You can join us over in the chat room or email me your questions today uh, at tedhart at tedhart.com. But since this is our fourth anniversary, we're going to start off with a little bit of fun. It is great to have our birthday here, and we have got a star-studded show for you. So we're going to start off with page one news, as we always do, and you can follow along over at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. First up here on the Nonprofit Coach, over in the radio links, not surprisingly, uh, we have news from South by Southwest, uh, and this is uh, coming to us from the Chronicle of Philanthropy on how crowdfunding sites could be better. And I think that this is some good advice. We've spoken about this here on the Nonprofit Coach and the need for uh, more transparency. Uh, here are some of the guidelines uh, that are mentioned in this article that you can find at tedhart.com. Click on radio links, and that is to require solicitors to say how much overhead they are putting into cost estimates for their projects. Disclose the fees that sites collect and state how much of the money actually goes to the intended organization. Uh, Include regular updates for each fundraising project uh, to show how the effort is going, uh, and so forth and so on. The the, the concern here is not uh, 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 not enough transparency. Uh, on some of these sites and some of these projects. And so the rush to digital, the rush to crowd fundraising, sort of an in vogue way that billions of dollars have been raised, um, certainly I don't have any problem with it, uh, but we do think that the ethical concerns, uh, the interests of the donor, 
protection of donated dollars um, needs to have a little bit more of a, a priority uh, in these projects um, rather than uh, what might be just a little bit of euphoria on these projects. So not a big cautionary tale, but certainly I think a lot of crowdfunding sites out there could be far more transparent and provide tools for transparency on the projects. Next up here is, uh, as you know, in the six pillars of success for nonprofit organizations online, uh, Twitter is one of the strategies that we believe are important uh, for nonprofit organizations. And in fact, it is the fourth most important thing that nonprofits are doing online today. So we are providing to you uh, some really good advice uh, from Mashable.com, Mashable being one of the smartest sites on the Internet, and they are providing us advice today on how you can succeed with Twitter in only 10 minutes per day. Well, listeners of this show will not find it too terribly surprising that part of the way that you cut down on the time and increase your capacity for success on Twitter is use of Hootsuite. Uh, Hootsuite is a free social media dashboard that we are big uh, fans of here uh, on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, and this will walk you through step-by-step -step process. It will give you um, five different things that you need to be doing to organize yourself and to be far more successful with Twitter. So if it's still a mystery, you are not going to uh, fulfill the six pillars of success for online nonprofit organizations without Twitter. Learn about it today at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. Uh, next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, we welcome back a good friend uh, to the Nonprofit Coach, and that is uh, Neil Galliford. He's up there in Toronto and is my partner in putting together the annual Digital Leap Conference. There's a link to Digital Leap uh, in the radio links today. Welcome back here to the Nonprofit Coach, Neil Galliford. Well, hi, Ted, and let me say happy birthday. Well, it's great to have four years, hard to believe. It, it really has been a labor of love, and so many people like yourself have uh, really been um, our stars, our experts, uh, people that are bringing really important advice to the nonprofit sector, particularly for smaller and mid-sized organizations that may not have the budget to have access to the best of the best. So we try to bring them here on the show every week at 12 noon Eastern, and Neil, you've been a big part of that, and, and we've expanded beyond that in partnership with you uh, with the Digital Leap uh, Conference, uh, which is actually coming into its fifth year. That's true. It's coming into its fifth year. It, uh, it's on Thursday, May 1st, uh, once again at the fabulous venue here in Toronto, the Art Gallery of Ontario. Everybody is, uh, loves to go there. It's so beautiful a place and a terrific place for a conference. It really is. It, it, it almost, when I'm there, uh, last couple of years we've been in that venue, uh, just feels very uniquely designed for a conference of this sort, easy flow and uh, easy place to learn. Yeah, and I, you know, when I realized it was your birthday sh show, I started thinking about you know the past uh, four years, and, and in fact, we've had four digital leaps together uh, in, in over the past four years. And um, so I looked back a little bit, and I saw that you know every year we've had more than 70 not-for-profits represented in our audience, uh, well over 100 attendees every every uh, every year. Um, and uh, I always thought that there'd be a lot of people sort of coming back every year, but actually it's a it's a good mix of of, uh, of returnees and and new uh, new people every year. So well, and the internet is great. changing every year. Digital technology and the use of uh, services online and on mobile uh, for nonprofits keeps changing. So I, I think for nonprofits, the topics are always very fresh, and certainly the planners this year have uh, really had their uh, eyes open and, and ear to the ground on what is needed by nonprofits to succeed today. Yeah, no, no kidding. I mean, we have managed to uh, locate experts from some pretty high-profile organizations. We've got someone from HubSpot coming to talk about their offerings and, and what, the, what they see as uh, changing in the uh, Internet world. We've got someone from Google, someone from Blackboard. You yourself are going to come and do your very popular website review session. Uh, we have someone who's going to focus on mobile, which I think is, uh, is uh, obviously a coming, uh, a coming venue that we need to be uh, smart about. And uh, but that's not to say we're not going to look at email, which is still w one of the most important uh, things for online fundraising. 
Yeah, as a matter of fact, we have a, an email update here on page one uh, in uh, in our notes today. So uh, as soon as we wrap up, uh, we're going to be uh, sharing some uh, email news. So it is still an important topic. It, you know, it's, it's interesting to have something like that feel like old technology, uh, but it's really <laughs> yeah, not. Isn't that true? And, and get, yeah, getting it right really is not. important. Yeah, and in fact, it probably still is the number one uh, the, the number one technique for actually reaching out to people to actually raise money um, online. So. Uh, it's, it's absolutely and, important. And right, on I mean, mobile. Whether it's, and, and whether it's and on mobile. with an event yeah. or direct. Yeah. yeah. Um, so how can folks, uh, over in the radio links, we do have a, a link directly to digitally. People can register. Uh, but there's, a, there's a, a period of time where it's even cheaper for uh, early uh, registrants. Is that correct? That's correct. Right now we have an early bird uh, uh, rate that's uh, available for another few weeks. Uh, that's a really excellent rate, especially if you combine it with the dual rate, which is uh, something we've been doing all along, which allows two people to register together and get a further discount. And you know, yeah, we people like don't like to go to conferences by themselves anyway, right? Right. Well, we like that team approach to uh, to learning. And the early bird, just for everybody to uh, to know, is there's not a whole lot more time left. That does end on March 28th. Uh, so we encourage you to uh, go to uh, digitalleap.org or follow us in the radio links today. Uh, Neil, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. And, of course, your well wishes here on our birthday are uh, very much appreciated. Well, it's amazing. You're an amazing show, Ted, and I, I know that uh, I know there's lots of people listening out there. So we're grateful that you're uh, providing such up-to-the-minute information on, on the show every week. So thanks a lot. You got it. You got it. And that's uh, Neil Galliford, our partner up in uh, Toronto for this, this year's amazing Digital Leap Conference. Uh, all new content, all new speakers, and uh, always well-received going into its fifth year Make sure that you register. I will be there, as Neil said, as will Neil, so make sure that you come to, uh, to see us. Um, I, next uh, up here on the Nonprofit Coast, we want to just uh, finish up on our page one news. You'll find over in the radio links today a really terrific webinar uh, that comes to us from TechSoup.org, and this is for our smaller nonprofit listeners on QuickBooks 2014 for nonprofits and charities. Um, a little bit less than an hour, um, and the downloads are there for you as well. Um, and uh, so everything's right there online, free of charge, of course, and you can find that over in the radio links uh, today. Uh, next up, as promised, uh, a little uh, a bit of an article coming again from Chronicle Philanthropy. This is over in their technology section. Uh, more people see charities email after a group pairs its uh, address list. I know, I know, it's it's like you know prying your your fingers open to let an email. Um, uh, go, you just feel like maybe someone who has never given for six months uh, or more just might accidentally give. But the problem here is is that uh, providers are changing the way that they're managing and reading your email, and that is the big email services have ratcheted up their efforts to identify mailers whose messages are not being opened. Um, and certainly when you are emailing to folks who are using Yahoo and especially Gmail, uh, they are monitoring this, and in fact your organization uh, could become uh, marked uh, as uh, an, an organization that is gray-listed, that is not successful in its email, uh, and it could make the email uh, go into a spam filter. So what you want to do is keep your list fresh. Here's some really good uh, advice. Uh, follow along with us. Uh, over in the radio links today and make sure that your email list is kept up to date and fresh. That's what we've got here on page one news. It's time to go over to page two. Certainly throughout the show today, we have a who's who um, in the nonprofit sector uh, joining us, and I'm so pleased to welcome back here uh, Mark Sutton, um, who is, you know, everybody today is, is special, Mark, uh, but you have a, a, a very special history uh, with the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show because you were, in fact, four years ago, uh, our very first guest, and you have been very kind to come and join us as our first guest uh, on our anniversary show each year. So it is wonderful to have you back. And before um, I, I give the floor over to you, I just want to make note of a big change in your career, uh, and that is that Mark Sutton is now the Chief Revenue Officer and General Manager of the Nonprofit Division at Front Stream 
payments. This is relatively new news and uh, a, a shift in the nonprofit sector uh, service providers. So Mark, bring us up to date on FrontStream on you, and uh, thank you for joining us again on our birthday. Hey, thanks, Ted. It's great to be back. And, uh, yeah, it, it, I can't believe, as you said earlier on, that it's been four years already. It, it feels kind of like a blink of an eye, but congratulations to you before we jump into things further on uh, four really successful and important years. So, and, and, and thanks again for having me back. Hundreds of thousands of listeners uh, have listened uh, live and uh, via podcasts, and it just uh, uh, it really boggles my mind the way the show has continued to grow, and certainly experts like you make it possible. That's great. I mean, you know, one of the things is we kind of you know, get into kind of all that's been going on on my side over the last little bit. You know, I certainly think that, that education has been so fundamental. As you know, I look at, at how the tools that I've been involved with, you know, over the years get used. It's you know the 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 tools themselves are are important and are one thing, but then it's also just the, the the way people go about using them and embracing them. That's another one. So I think that the the whole educational piece of what you're doing is, you know, you know really, really feeds in and, and, and is quite important. Um, but you, you, you're right. You know, thanks for bringing up kind of the, the recent changes. Um, and just to kind of catch you up, back in in August of 2013, Artez, uh, the company that I, I, I was at for three and a half years prior, was acquired by a company called Frontstream Payments. And you know, it's been a a really remarkable, um, you know, eight months now. Um, on the on the same day that, that Artez was acquired, another organization, um, a CRM system for nonprofits called GiftWorks, was also acquired. And going back 12 months prior to that, a company called First Giving, which, um, in a small world story, I, I started uh, in 2003 here in the U.S. It, it's a uh, an offshoot of, of Just Giving in the U.K. W- w- was acquired, and um, most recently. Two weeks ago, uh, Frontstream acquired uh, Truist, which is a payroll giving and volunteer management company um, based in Washington, D.C., uh, that does some in- incredible work. So really what, what's been happening with Frontstream, which is a, a, a payments company, is kind of bringing under one integrated family everything from the payments aspect for, for nonprofits to the, the customer relationship and donor relationship management um, to uh, the, the, the fundraising tools um, as well with uh, first giving, peer-to-peer fundraising, Artez um, for mid-sized and larger organizations, you know, as well as now with, with Truist being part of the family, we've got um, workplace giving tools for nonprofits and corporations alike as well as volunteer management. So. Really, the vision is to, is to try to bring a complete set of, of products all together uh, in one place where they're, are, where they're integrated and where it also kind of rounds out um, from the organization's perspective, you know, a wide range of needs. So that, in, in a nutshell, is kind of what, what, what's been happening, um, you, know, you know, for me and most excitingly with, with what FrontStream is doing in, uh, in, in the nonprofit technology. Um, well, it's, it sure is exciting, and, and, of course, all of the technology companies that um, service the nonprofit sector have been go- undergoing changes, um, and I think, you know, certainly trying to answer the need that nonprofits have, and more importantly, the need that donors have. Um, to have access to the charities that they want to support. So we're asking um, all of our guests, and I know you're going to stay with us a little bit. We've got a number of folks who are going to be joining us yeah. uh, today. We're asking everybody today, uh, you know, for in, in a nutshell, um, one or the best piece of advice that you can give to nonprofits to succeed in this new year. Okay, so I, I, I would say going back to um, you know what I just mentioned about the education I, I think it's, I think it's trying things it's it's taking a look at the technology that's available to you out there and looking and and, and, and looking to embrace it um, perhaps even to a greater degree than you already have um, and it's looking at at, at uh, you know whether it's using Hootsuite as you mentioned earlier or wh- whether it's kind of bringing automation to some campaign um, that you that you really has been more offline um, or maybe more online but not mobile, it's, it's figuring out how do you kind of extend the programs that you're doing to either include other online functions or let's say even mobile or social capabilities to take advantage of the changing environment. And it, I think it starts with education. It's followed up by testing. 
and seeing what works and just gaining experience with it. And I think that, that uh, you know, the, the, the number, thing, number one thing I would say is start trying some of these things. You're going to quickly find out what doesn't work and also what does work. So I think just embrace those technologies and start trying um, methodically uh, will, I, I believe, pay a lot of dividends and help take you uh, steps forward. Right. Well, we've certainly taken the position here on the, on the nonprofit coach and in, in my lectures and, and certainly in my books that uh, there's appropriate use of technology and not to be left behind because the competition only gets greater. So, uh, Mark, thank you. You're going to stay with us. I'm going to welcome here now a good friend, actually, uh, just recent guest here on the nonprofit coach, Philip King. Uh, is here joining us. I think he's going to agree with much of what you just said. Uh, welcome back here, Philip. Thank you, Ted. Happy birthday. Well, it's great to have you back on here. And, of course, you're, you're always such a popular guest, and your last show uh, was just uh, amazing in the, the detail that you got into uh, in terms of this uh, shift to mobile um, and, uh, and, and how predominant that's becoming, but, but also is not just a straight line, uh, you know, uh, give me an app and I'm going to raise money. So we got into a lot of that. I'm guessing that you agree uh, with a lot of what Mark is saying, but uh, uh, here on our fourth anniversary, we've got, you know, the expert Philip King. What is your best piece of advice for nonprofits who want to succeed in the next year? Well, I've, I've, I was trying to think of one. There are two for sure, but one is definitely mobilize your donation form. Like, um, and if you can, mobilize at least the homepage because I think a lot of charities in 2014 are going to turn away a lot of iPhones and Androids that are trying to donate to them, but their donation experience is just not good. And, and one of the quick ways you can check for your organization, no matter what the size is, is go through, make a donation on your iPhone and just see how that thing feels. So that would be my number one. If I, can, if I can be allowed, number two is just do a review of your Google Analytics data from 2013. That's just a big way so you can start to really open your eyes to see how do people get to my website, what channels are most popular that lead to donations, just to give some basic data to any size organization because Google Analytics is free. Well, it is, and um, one of the things that we've talked about here for years, and I know you and you and I have spoken about it, and, and uh, Mark Sutton's here uh, with us, and, and he and I have spoken about this a lot as well, and that's managing by data um, and actually understanding that even small nonprofits do have data. They are surrounded and are able to collect data, but often don't manage with what they already know. Absolutely, and let me just take a moment to do a shout-out to Mark. How are you doing, Mark? Very well, Philip. It's great to be uh, connected with, with, with Ted on this. So, so um, what wonderful to uh, be doing this with you guys. Absolutely. And did we lose Neil? Is Neil still here? Or did he leave? Uh, Neil had to had to drop off. He was uh, over on page one, and uh, when we turn the page, uh, we're, it's just us over here on page two. It's a it's a new group because we could have had some debates with Neil. But yeah, Ted, I think I think what you're bringing up is is one of the things we've talked about for for years. You know, we go way back beyond four years to even when, when Mark and, and you and I were doing the e-philanthropy board 10 yeah. years ago, yeah. the, the, uh, one of the things that I find with, with online that I love for charities is that it creates data, and that data can be used to make decisions. I find that, you know, I'll go to an organization, and they're going to be in the room, and they're debating what should be on their homepage. And you've got the, the person who's marketing, you've got the person who's fundraising, the person who's grants, you've got the person who's donating, you know, and they're all trying to get their space on that homepage. And I think now with data, we've got the ability to say, let's not be organization-centric. Let's be donor-centric. Let's go look last year on our website and see which pages were most popular and feature those on our homepage because we actually rather than the opinions things. inside the group. Right. We don't have to manage by gut. We actually can know these things. The, the other thing I wanted to, to mention is, is the first point that you brought up, um, and that's uh, this, this move to donations on mobile. And, and, and it's great to have you and Mark here because we, we do go back to uh, the eFlansby Foundation and all the wonderful work that we did there to educate and to, to raise the awareness of, of uh, the Internet and, and even early mobile uh, at that point, but it almost seems to me that you know when you were back there, and certainly a lot of organizations sort of uh, were given a pass. You could almost be sloppy on your website. You didn't really have to have all of the things working well or to expectation, um, and, and you could reasonably have some sort of solution um, even back uh, a few years ago. But that's not the case in mobile. 
Um, mobile is much more precise, I believe. Uh, and the, the frustration that donors will have is probably not going to come with it uh, with the same level of giving you a pass. Absolutely. Mobile mobile's a whole new game. I mean, it's the same game in that we're all using the Internet, you know, with our desktops and our mobile devices. But, you know, several things happen with mobile. One is the audience demographics quite a bit younger. So for those of the, of the crowd who are measuring their Google Analytics, run your demographics on your mobile audience, and you're going to see they're significantly younger. And younger people have less attention span. That's just the way it goes, and they're going to have less patience for a poorly designed page. Um, the other thing I find with mobile is that uh, things that are as simple as page load time, like how long does it take you to load that page, that becomes very important on mobile. Whereas with desktop, you know, we were looking at that data, the donations were moving online, so there could be some of that sloppiness as you mentioned, Ted. But, but with mobile, I think if people start looking into their data, there's a big separation between what feels good on an iPhone and what doesn't. And I think a lot of people know that the difference in that feeling and if you present them something that's not as good as what they just had, let's say at Amazon or eBay, or you know, they're gonna they're gonna abandon very quickly. Well, I, I agree, and, and and Mark, you certainly see this in in payment. Um, that there there are expectations that have grown um, in the use of technology by for profits and now nonprofits. Um, that you're not free to just sort of have a haphazard solution. Uh, but in fact, if you're going to build the trust in the use of mobile in particular, there are expectations. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think that what we're seeing is, is you know, not to support what, what Philip's saying, is that not only are we seeing more and more people come to these forms um, on mobile devices, um, and, and when I say these forms, I mean, I mean donation pages, but we're also seeing an increase in the donations actually made on a, on a mobile device. And you know, I think there's some really important tricks to making sure that as this continues to shift, that organizations are taking full advantage of it. So um, you know, page load speed is absolutely one. You're right. We have a lot less, you know, we have a, a, a different expectation on the mobile handset. Um, I think it also speaks to, um, you know, do you have a form that's mobile web optimized? Or in other words, if somebody goes there, is it something that's conducive for people making a, a donation? In other words, it resolves in such a way where they can, uh, they don't have to scroll across, but they can kind of move through it very efficiently. Mm. And Another important piece that we're seeing is just is it uh, configured with with mobile payment options um, th that would let people get through it very quickly and simply, say like a PayPal, for example, where they can get through um, entering username, password, um, amount, and, and go versus um, typing the 16 digits. So that's also you, you know another factor as you think about um, how do you take advantage of what's going on in the mobile world. Well, and, and, and Philip, you know, one of the biggest mistakes I think that folks that are not terribly familiar with uh, mobile and the, and the utilization of, of web and mobile is uh, they, they may be sitting there thinking it's just a mini website. That's right. It's a kind of there's, smaller device. There's a, yeah, there's a phrase that I would like to just bring to, the, to your audience, which is called mobile first. And it's, it's a phrase that I learned from Google, but a lot of other technology companies are talking about mobile first. And the basic idea is don't approach mobile as an afterthought. Don't take your desktop, when I say desktop, the, the, the website that people hit when they're using their laptop computer or desktop computer, I'll, I'll refer to as a desktop, don't take your desktop website and scrunch it down to be your iPhone or your mobile phone website. That's kind of like taking your, you know, your three-story home and trying to move it all into a little apartment. It's just not going to work. Take an attitude that says we've got a fresh, clean slate, Let's build a website just for what the people who are on their iPhones need. And it's going to be a little bit different. You're probably not going to have the same information. You're probably not going to use the same words as you did on your desktop. And then wouldn't it be interesting, once you watch how that site performs, to migrate that site back to a desktop version, hence the term mobile first. Because what we do see is, at least as a first stage, is a lot of people, they try to keep everything on their home page on their iPhone page. Well, that's going to be a long scroll. And any kind of scroll is going to result in what we call abandon rates with any kind of visitor. So I think you're right, Ted, to say that with a mobile, we've got a new opportunity to think differently about well, what does the person want. 
and, and develop from, from there. So there, there is a little bit of reverse engineering for those who are going to be moving in uh, to this uh, new world of mobile. And, and it, gentlemen, I, I think, Philip, you may have them handy. The reason why this has to be taken so seriously is because the number of people that are using these devices is outpacing the desktop. Yeah, the uh, I've got a client, and I won't refer to them specifically. They're a big run-walk client, and uh, I was just doing some analytics for them, you know, last week. What we saw in that run-walk is that overall their money increased, right? So they were high-fiving each other, the money increased. If you peel back the onion a little bit, their actual visitor numbers went down, and they were very concerned about this. And then when we started looking at the numbers, we said, okay, hold on a second. Your desktop laptop visitors went down significantly from this time last year. Your tablet users stayed about the same. Your mobile users really increased in their, in their size. The challenge is, is that the average gift in the mobile users was lower than the average gift in the desktop laptop. So what we're starting to see now is this shift in the, what I would call the audience makeup. So today, for mo- any charity in the U.S. right now, they're going to have – a portion that's mobile, a portion that's tablet, and a portion that's desktop. Pretty much like it'll still be more than 50 or 60% desktop, but some organizations, particularly for younger crowds, are going to start that tipping point sometime this year in 2014, where that's why we desktops take, will represent less than half. And that's why we need to take all this so very seriously. Gentlemen, I have a, another top expert in our field that is going to join us uh, uh, today on our fourth anniversary. You gentlemen, uh, hang tight there if you'd like, if you need to drop off. Uh, feel free, and that is uh, Linda Lysakowski is joining us. Linda um, has one thing in common with me, actually several things in common with me, but uh, we are two of just over 100 professionals worldwide who hold the ACFRE, or Advanced Certified Fundraising Executive designation. She has over 20-plus years as a philanthropic consultant uh, and has trained over 27,000 development professionals in uh, Canada, Mexico, Egypt, Bermuda, I want to go with you, Linda, uh, and most of the 50 United States. She's a, a prolific author and a good friend of this show. Linda Lysakowski, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Ted. Can you hear me okay? I can. I can. On the line here with us, we've got Mark Sutton uh, and Philip King. And uh, so uh, thank you for joining us. We're asking uh, each of our guests today to uh, share uh, their top tip for nonprofits to succeed in, the, in this year. Well, I guess for me the top tip is always plan, plan, plan. I, I find that so many nonprofit organizations don't really take the time to sit down and work on a strategic plan and a development plan, and they kind of do things by the seat of the pants, basically, and, and I think this is one of the biggest mistakes that nonprofits make. So I think my mantra is always plan and have a written plan and follow that plan. I think you're, you're absolutely right. I think we would all all agree with you here, and it's, it's certainly not that this has been a hidden tip. Um, you know, people have been talking about this for a very long time. Why do you think so many nonprofits still fail to have a plan to succeed? I think a lot of it is just the expectations of their board or their executive directors are totally um, unreal. They hire a development person and. The first thing the board does and, the, and sometimes the executive director does is kind of wipe their brow and you can hear that sigh of relief. Oh, boy, you know, we don't have to worry about that fundraising now. Here's this fundraising person. And I talk to so many development officers that take a new position and all of a sudden, you know, they're thrust with, okay, now we need you to, to raise a million dollars in the next three months, so how are you going to do that? <laughs> and they just have these unrealistic expectations thrust upon them and so they don't really take time to plan. I was yesterday had um, I'm writing a new book on strategic planning actually, and my co-author Lynn Dean is worked for a community college in San Antonio, and I we were talking about my days and working in the university setting and her days, and we both said how much we looked forward to summer because the students were gone, a lot of the faculty members were gone, and we had the luxury of some time in our development shops to do our planning for the academic year ahead. But some organizations just don't take that time. They're busy putting out fires. It's, you know, this event's going and this grant deadline is due, and they don't really plan out their grant calendar in advance. They don't plan out their special events 
a year in advance, which most events take. And so they find themselves just constantly running around at the last minute doing things. So whether you are in an academic setting or not, I think you do have to take some time at the beginning of your fiscal year, whether that be July or January or somewhere in between, and, you know, take a week or so to just close your office door and and tell people you're tied up and work on that plan and get it done. Well, one of the problems when people don't plan, I find, is that um, every idea becomes a great idea. Uh, there's there's no right. measure of whether or not it's it's in the plan or it's not the plan or we're expending budget. In, in other words, every uh, thing that is suggested has equal weight uh, for the organization. Right. Especially when it comes from a board member or a volunteer, you have to give it some weight. Right? <laughs> so I think you're absolutely right with that. You know, people come in with these, and maybe they are great ideas, but maybe they're not great for your organization. I always. Uh, have told people many times when I do training on the development plan, and, and I get a lot of nods when I ask how many people have been in this situation where you're at a board meeting or a development committee meeting and some well-meaning board member or volunteer comes in and says, hey, I have this great idea. We need to run a golf tournament, and you can insert, you know, gala, dinner dance, walk, run, bowl a tennis tournament, whatever, because the hospital just had one, and they raised $250,000, so let's do a golf tournament or whatever the, the project is. And the next thing you know, everybody's all gung-ho getting ready for this golf tournament. And meanwhile, the things that were already being planned or budget that was being expended, uh, everything just becomes additive. Um, and right. I think, and then we become surprised when uh, not everything can be done up to the level <laughs> of expectation that we have, or budgets aren't aren't met. I, we've got another person exactly. here, Linda, that I, I bet can share some insight. And uh, it's just a, a a group of friends here today. One of my favorite people in the entire world, Kay Sprinkle Grace. <laughs> Uh, is here joining us. She is uh, one of the foremost experts in the nonprofit sector. She's been the principal yeah. of her own organization since 1989 and is one of the most popular, as a matter of fact, is the most popular uh, guest on the nonprofit coach and each year uh, booked out, I guess, uh, several years um, as she does our annual holiday show and she's here with us now. So, uh, Kay, we've got uh, Mark Sutton, Philip King, and Linda Lysakowski here with us. Oh, Linda, uh, all right, okay. <laughs> so we're celebrating Hi, the fourth Kay. anniversary. Hi, Linda. Uh, well, we're celebrating I'm the just, fourth anniversary of the Nonprofit yes. Coach today, and we're asking everybody who uh, uh, joins us today to share their best advice for nonprofits to succeed in the next year. Well, let me tell you what it is. It's like in real estate, it's location, 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 and in our our profession, it's relationships, relationships, relationships. And if you do nothing else with your board, with your staff, it is to emphasize the importance of the culture of philanthropy, to build relationships, to build these for long term, because we can't foresee the future. And what we found in the recession was that those organizations who had the really strong relationships, those people didn't let the organizations down. Those who had been in a frenzied cycle of money, 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 acquisition, 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 no time to build relationships, no money for stewardship, they were the ones that really had to scramble. So you look at our major universities, you look at the others. That, I mean, Stanford University did a campaign during the recession and raised six and a quarter billion dollars from 168,000 donors. And it's relationships, relationships, relationships. And I came in on the end of, tail end of Linda, your comments about it always reminds me of um, you know the, the Judy Garland, Mickey Rooney um, <laughs> film that we all know. You know, let's have a party. You know? Right, let's yeah. put, a, put on a show and we're going to raise lots of money. Let's put on a show. And I think that we spend entirely too much time in kind of the the, the whirlwind of events and and email blasts and all of that when, in fact, we should take an hour every day, all of us, and just call people and just say, gosh, I was just looking. You have been a donor now for over 10 years, and I just want to say thank you. Mm-hmm. And it it's just I find more and more 
that this is the, the, the secret, if you will, the secret sauce is um, the focus on relationships. And well, it's such an interesting show that we, that we have uh, moved into here in our final third of the show. Uh, we've got Kay Sprinkle Grace and Linda Lysakowski, two of the most star-studded um, leaders of traditional fundraising and certainly working with boards of directors and volunteers. Uh, and Mark Sutton and Philip King, uh, who are on the leading cutting edge of new technology, mobile, uh, tablet, uh, web uh, technology. And all of these worlds, uh, my friends, all of you together, um, all of these worlds do exist within the nonprofit sector. And every single nonprofit organization that we're talking to today um, are faced with needing strategies and working out the relationship between all of these somewhat competing, sometimes competing, strategies. And I don't see them as competing. Um, I, in fact, I did a little, oh, little session with a board last night, and well, I asked the board members, you know, what their, what their top question was, and I just built what I said from that. It was very casual, just around a table. It wasn't a formal presentation. And, you know, I mean, the, the questions about social media and – I think the social media, all of its different iterations, absolutely the best tools that have come along in years. But like everything we do, whether it's having a diversified fundraising base, it is part of our communications package must also be, um, be varied. And so, I mean, there are – I find that social media – for outreach, for stewardship, is just amazing. We've never had a tool like this. When I started in this business, good grief, everything was so clunky. And now, you know, we can communicate and we can really engage people, but you've got to have that personal touch. And the studies that are being done show that um, young people who have been very social media attached are really kind of craving gatherings and getting together with people, and we need to be mindful of that um, as we kind of plan how we engage. I'm going to be doing a a talk on millennials, um, which has been a very keen interest of mine. And what we find is that the millennials are wanting some kind of personal interaction, which they will define. And that is, of course, what is unique about 21st century philanthropy is that for the first time the donor's defining the relationship. And we have that to really find is out. The, that really is the difference. And what we've it's seen the in the last few years is yeah. that philanthropy is, is personal again. Absolutely. Uh, and personal in that the donor is driving. And I think for a period of time there, um, development officers almost sort of eclipsed that um, in that you know, we were prospecting, we knew more about the donor than they knew about the charity um, and brought the opportunities to them. And I think that that tide has shifted. I'm, I'm going to just ask Philip and Mark just to weigh in on, you know, from all the cutting-edge technology that you're developing and working in and, and strategizing in, uh, marrying these two together, and I, I think Kay has definitely identified where that trend is right now. Mark, you want to take that one? Yeah, no, I, I, would, I would say absolutely. Where it, it, so I like what you said. It, it, it's a very s- simple answer in a lot of ways where it, it, it comes back to the relationships. And, um, you, you know, I, I think that the one thing we see, especially in the peer-to-peer side of our business, but, but also in all the other areas as well, where it's, a, it's about the relationships that people have with either one another friends, families, coworkers, family members, coworkers, or whether it's the relationship that an individual has with their, their organization. So, so much of this technology is, is really um, there to help facilitate um, those relationships. But at the end of the day, it's the relationship which is, is the, the key aspect. And the tools. And I can, I can add from a mobile perspective, yeah. one of the biggest drivers of traffic to even the smallest charities, it's the, it's the greatest thing when I come across a small charity that doesn't have a big staff, but they've got a fantastic Facebook community. And I look at their data, and I'm blown away by how active that Facebook community is. And it's kind of, Kay, what you were saying in terms of relationships. It's not content that is created by the charity. In many cases, it's started by that. Mm-hmm. It's the comments mm-hmm. inside of those posts. It's the likes. It's the community talking to themselves. And I can tell you from a donations perspective, 
on a mobile device, it's driving huge amounts of traffic, mobile Facebook is. So just to underscore what you mm-hmm. said, Kay, it is about relationships and social media. It's right. a new type of tool that emphasizes those relationships. That's right. And the bottom line is, for, for all my friends here, is that they are just that. They are tools. They are opportunities to connect. They are opportunities to grow those relationships. We have a, another dear friend of uh, uh, the nonprofit coach here to, uh, to, to join us. Uh, representing uh, Blackbaud, which is a, a company that has been a strong supporter of the nonprofit coach uh, from the very beginning and uh, was a, a strong supporter of the eFilanthropy Foundation even before that. Melanie Mathos is here with us, and uh, she's been working and volunteering with nonprofits most of her life. She now works as a senior public relations manager uh, at Blackbaud. Uh, Blackbaud certainly has changed and continues to grow um, with the nonprofit sector. Welcome back here to the nonprofit coach, Melanie Mathos. Thanks so much, and congratulations to you and the team on your anniversary. And uh, thank you. We've got in the bar with content. Yeah, well, we've uh, we've got a star-studded group today. Mark Sutton is with us, along with Philip King, Kay Sprinkle, Grace, and Linda Lysakowski are all here. You're you're next up, and I and I understand you've actually got some updates uh, for us uh, from Blackbot, and and you folks have. Uh, uh, got the highly successful, extremely well-organized BBCon conference each year, uh, and that's moving. Yes, it is, and I know Kay's been a part of BBCon as well. Thank you, Kay. I have. Um, <laughs> I was in Sydney last October, yeah. Fantastic. I haven't been out there yet. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you, it's a fabulous conference. It's It's really oh, wonderful, great. yeah. Well, we're heading to Nashville this year, October 6th or 8th, so we're oh, really okay. excited. Yeah. Uh, we've been in D.C. for the past few years, and we're going to change it up a bit. So we're looking forward to that. Where are you going? It's going to be opening soon. Yeah, so we're going to be at the Gaylord there. Ah, okay. The Nonprofit Coach Radio <laughs> Show will be live from BBCon again. Uh, this year, as we have uh, been uh, for each of the last uh, couple of years, um, you also have uh, a leadership uh, shift since we spoke last uh, uh, at uh, Blackbot, I believe, Melanie. We do. So our new CEO, Mike Giannone, is rounding out his second month um, on board here, and uh, he's been just really diving in and meeting with customers and getting to know our employees, uh, heading to our international offices. So. He's really walked in many of our shoes, so that's really the uh, the cool part about it. He's worked as an engineer and all over um, the technology field, so he's going to really draw from that to help shape our future. So we're looking forward to kind of seeing uh, what his vision is once he's had a chance to find the coffee maker. Yeah, Melanie, we're asking everybody today um, in celebration of our fourth anniversary here on the Nonprofit Coach to share their best tip for nonprofits to succeed in the next year. Oh gosh, that's that's tough. There's there's a lot of good ones. Um, I think you know the theme this year that we're focusing on still is donor retention. We're recovering slowly. Uh, charitable giving was up 4.9% in 2013, but it, it's not any staggering increase. So I think it's still important to to pay attention to your supporters first, um, while prudently uh, investing in acquisition too. So that would be my tip. Well, and I think that's very consistent um, with what we've heard so far. Kay, you, you said relationships. Certainly um, relationships um, uh, tie very closely into uh, retention. And, Linda, um, you were saying that you've got a plan for success, and, and certainly a big part of uh, retention is actually having a plan. It doesn't just happen by itself. Exactly. I think, you know, all of what was said by everybody else on this on this uh, call so far today I think is really true you know the building relationships that's so important that Kay talked about and donor retention it all comes down to knowing your donors knowing what they want and and working to develop an individual plan that works for each one of your major donors I think is really critical that donor retention is is so important because so many people think well, we have to go out and find new donors which uh, we've already proven that costs six times as much as retaining a current donor. So why are we spending all that money to get new donors when we could be doing so much more to build those relationships with our existing donors? And, and it's, Phil, it's a Phil mistake in our attitude. It's it's we think that when we get the gift, the transaction is over, and mm-hmm. we confuse 
what we have done within the donor relationship. And I, I always tell people, you know, I said it's like the caterpillar and the butterfly. You know, we're the caterpillar. And we think, oh, okay, it's over. And the butterfly, for the butterfly, it's just the beginning. You know, wow, I'm now a donor. I'm now part of this. And then we we don't pay attention to them, and it's really, it's just a shame. Well, and Kay, a lot of times I think um, folks, once they get that gift, uh, they do label that file as a donor, and once a donor, always a donor. So I'm moving on to the next prospect. I'm not yep, really thinking exactly about right what it's going to take to renew that donor. Yep, exactly. And, and Philip and, and Mark, I wanted to bring you in on this because I, I think one of the, the, the concerns, if there is one in the, in the digital space, um, is the focus on it being new money, uh, not so deep relationship, uh, almost a little, little bit of, of sort of drive-by fundraising. Um, and, and how do we deepen those relationships? Because clearly the team here today, um, has, has put retention and relationships and planning on the table. I think that um, yeah, you could, you could drive it either way. I think the technology is a little bit agnostic. But, but I can tell you, when I study charities' websites, it's only about half or maybe 60% of their traffic that's new traffic. The other 40 or 50% is returning traffic. And so, you know, just kind of what everyone's talking about, being able to see the difference between the new people on your website and the returning people, and treating them somewhat differently, seeing where the returning people go into your website, creating content that would appeal to them or asking them to be co-creators in your content. That's a great retention strategy for any organization to ask to help post them some content on Facebook. So I think that the tools themselves don't lend themselves to kind of one way of thinking, but a good, a good retention strategist could very much use Facebook to, to kind of support their strategy and create more of a stickiness to the to the the relationship absolutely i think some of it comes down to you know what we're saying with the plan what metrics you know what gets measured gets done in any organization so if you're just driving your online team to kind of drive out new donations well they're going to they're going to maximize that but if you're paying a little bit of attention in your data to returning visitors to engagement well you're going to drive that behavior too but Kay, doesn't that require development officers and, and nonprofit boards and executives um, to think of donors as more than money? Oh, exactly. And one of the big mistakes you make, you say, oh, gosh, you know, Alice was here last night. Oh, yeah, she's a $1,000 donor, isn't she? Right. Or, <laughs> Not, or, she, or, or even worse, she's a special event donor. She's yeah, a, a telephone and donor. And so exactly. we've got all these labels. We've got rather these labels, than, and we don't know a thing about Alice. And it, it is why I really feel that the best hour all of development professionals could spend every single day is an hour just calling donors and just saying, just wanted to touch base with you. And, you know, and it can also be by email. And that's the thing I love about Taylor. I am so down on this, this return that we've had to email blasts. The value of email when we still use it rather than using a social network platform is that we can completely tailor it. And, I mean, I get uh, communications from an organization that I've supported for years. They know exactly which aspect of their organization I am most interested in. They send me these little tidbits that tell me how that part of the program is going. And it makes me feel like they really remember who I am. When I did the huge initiative for the Corporation for Public Broadcasting from, well, 2004 to 2007 with 110 public television stations, and when they did the market research before we began the program, they interviewed people about why they had stopped giving to public media. And this one woman's response just became our kind of slogan for the program. And when they asked her what it would take to get her back as a donor to public media, she said they'd have to show me that they know me. And, you know, I, I say to my clients, do you have a donor base or do you have a base of donors? That's a and very important a distinction. Big <laughs> distinction. Linda, you've written you know, quite a bit about, uh, about that topic of really getting to know the donor. Are you oh, I'm sorry, Dave, are, you are you talking to me or Kay? Uh, Linda, I, I was just saying, Linda, you, you've written quite a bit about getting to know the donor. I have, and you know, as Kay was talking, uh, uh, 
popped into my mind, and I don't know where all of you are located throughout the country, but we have a cable television station here that has a huge media campaign, which frankly I'm so sick of hearing, <laughs> but it gets the message through, and it's they show different people, and they're all saying, oh, this, this system knows me. It knows what I like, and I find it amazing that you can turn on your television and it will know what kind of shows you like to watch and what time of the day you like to watch TV and, and what you're looking for on the Internet. And I think that really is so true of us and, and our relationships with our donors. Kay said it, I think, had it right on the head with, you know, show me that you know me because that's really what people want. And these people in the commercial for this cable TV are all excited because it knows me. It knows what I want. It knows me. And they're very excited about that. And I think we can generate that same excitement in our donors if we can send them a letter that says, gosh, I know you're really interested in our after-school program, and here's what we've been doing lately in that program. People will just be so excited about our organizations if we can generate that feeling that, yes, they do know me and they know what I'm interested in. I, I agree with you, Kay. I think you know when you get a letter from an organization that you've supported, and you know that they really care about you. Uh, that Judith Nichols did work in that years ago, showing that two-thirds of people stopped supporting an organization because they just felt the organization no longer cared about them. Right, and exactly. I've had it happen to me. I've stopped supporting organizations because I felt that. And, and Melanie, this is sort of the bread and butter of, of BlackBot and um, database management and, and really understanding donors and pulling different data sets together. Definitely. I mean, it's consistent behavior if you look at data sets and model. I mean, big data is the big buzzword, but really um, the little data is just as important. So um, I think, you know, this is the year that people are really going to start focusing in on that and really taking advantage of um, some of the things that, you know, everyone's been talking about, like not always including a fundraising ask, really being strategic around um, communicating stewardship uh, messages without having a donate now at the end. I think that's super important. Um, I know Penelope Burke and Chuck Longfield have both done research on this. If you just do a calling campaign to thank donors, their retention rate goes up exponentially. Absolutely. I, you know, and the, the thing that is, is amazing about the, the thanking people by phone I mean, this started in the in the 70s when I was a volunteer. You know, I mean, Stanford started their first frosh thankathons, and uh, then everybody said, "Oh God, that's so that's so old. That's so 20th century." And yet now, what we see is those thankathons are back in big time. And we did a, a program with a hospital on the East Coast where the only thing we changed, it was a hospital foundation, the only thing we changed over a three-year period was that we did thankathons four times a year, and we increased the retention rate by 37%. Not surprising Amazing. at all. I, I'm going to jump in here because we've only got two minutes left here on our fourth anniversary show. We do have a, a, a final friend jumping in here that you'll all know, uh, a fellow ACFRE uh, 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 certification uh, holder, Simone Joyo, is uh, joining us here. Hi, hello, Simone. Hi there. Was that case? Sprinkle Grace. Just oh, it was. It was, <laughs> and yes. it is. It still is. Case Sprinkle Grace. We have quite, quite a group Simone. here. Yeah. Philip King, uh, Case Sprinkle Grace, uh, Simone Joyelle, Linda Lysakowski, and Melanie Mathos are still with us uh, here on this fourth anniversary show. Simone, you're going to be able to close this out. We literally have two minutes left. We're asking everybody for their best advice for nonprofits to succeed in the new year. Okay, best advice. Uh, let's see. Follow the body of knowledge. Now, I know that sort of sounds silly maybe, but one of my big pet peeves and things that I seriously work worry about is that we're having trouble convincing our boss, our board, that there's actually that this is actually a profession, and that there's actually a body of knowledge. So I'd like to see all of us fundraisers helping bosses and boards understand some of the extraordinary research we have now. For example, okay, talking about donor thank you calls, looking at neuroscience and emotions looking at what it means to do strong face-to-face -face solicitation. And this, to me, is 
all about the body of knowledge. Until our bosses and board members understand that just like accounting or just like um, brain surgery or just like house construction, there is a body of knowledge in fundraising and respect it. So I'm waiting for bosses and board members to say, so again, you're our chief development officer. What does the research tell us about X? Great way to wrap up today, Simone. Uh, We don't have to make it up as we go along. Fun-filled show today. Great experts. Thank you all for joining us here on the fourth anniversary of the Nonprofit Coach. I cannot thank you enough. You all make it possible to really be a terrific asset to the nonprofit sector. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today on the Nonprofit Coach. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to The Nonprofit Coach.